0: other episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Pig Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Meyerley, and today we're doi- joined by Dr. Andrew Weaver. And uh, you guys are out at the ASI convention in Denver, Colorado. And I hear it's like yes. eight degrees out there, nice light wind.
1: Yeah, there there is a light wind. It is at least <laughs> sunny, and the sky is blue, but it is 12 degrees with the wind chill. And tomorrow morning, it's supposed to be, I think, negative two or negative four. So little chilly, little chilly from even what we've seen in in Ohio, Pennsylvania. But yeah, we
0: do. I think just most of the country is about to come up on all that cold weather.
2: It's a good thing this conference is indoors. Yep. Yeah, I
1: was joking yesterday. If it wouldn't have been for the fact that I felt like I needed some fresh air. Walked outside for like ten minutes to to just get out, get outside. Had no idea what the temperature was until until yeah. I stepped outside because all you
2: see <laughs> is through the window, and you're lucky to to find a window. But yeah. <laughs> might be a little chilly to check out the sock show tomorrow. But uh... yeah, the National
1: Western is going on. We're going to try to make it make it over there. Uh, this is only my second ASI convention, and. I think still still learning how everything operates, and the policy side of the meeting is certainly interesting. Uh, but we al- we also have had a significant amount of educational content through both production oriented aspects and then and then the genetic aspects as well. So we figured we could do a recap uh, for yeah. those that whether they're in attendance or or not in attendance. It has been fun you know, last night. They had an industry-wide reception uh, and was talking with Todd Taylor and Cody Heimke. They're both Wisconsin natives. And your name got brought up, Tom. Uh Uh-oh. And they are listeners to uh, Todd is. And now Cody's probably one of our newest listeners, hopefully. Uh, But only one one word of uh, constructive criticism is – we might talk about Katahdins a little too often. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I told him, I was like, yeah, I mean, it it just kind of comes up naturally, I guess. But we'll probably have to bring in some other breeds. And we're equal opportunity for the sheep industry. So it's, we're, <laughs> we're going to have to diversify. But yeah. um, it was fun. So I guess we start, Andrew, we had that first meeting Wednesday night, which was the NSIP, um, I don't remember the official title, but
2: Open Foreman Annual open form. Membership Meeting. Yes,
1: thank you. And so had a couple of good questions. Of what was really the highlight for
2: you in that meeting? Yeah, so a good group of people there. Uh, it was a, a relatively full room and uh, lots of excitement around the, the National Sheep Improvement Program and the opportunities ahead. Uh, so we did some of the business stuff. Uh, we don't want to bore you with that uh but then we open it up to uh, uh an open forum discussion um to talk about uh, maybe some current issues or future opportunities uh as it relates to the national improvement program and uh uh, one of the things that got brought up was, was the discussion of accuracy and, and the role that accuracy plays in a selection program and, and what weight do you put on maybe the accuracy of one of those breeding values relative to the breeding value itself. And so uh, there were a few different opinions tossed around and some interesting discussion around that and something that uh, probably need to continue to discuss. Um, and, and certainly accuracy is a component of, of selection and, and genetic progress. Um, the accuracy value is is built into the the calculation of the estimated breeding value. Uh, so actually, the more accurate uh, those breeding values are, the more extreme they have the potential to be. So uh, really, when you try to identify those those kind of outliers, those changers uh, within our, our sheep populations, um, a lot of them will inherently have a higher accuracy value anyway. Um, and so uh, you know, we one of the points I brought up was you know that. That EBV, that estimated breeding value, um, even at a very low accuracy level, uh, is still uh, a better selection tool uh, than raw phenotypic data alone. So I would much rather have uh, that weaning weight EBV uh, with 30 or 40 percent accuracy uh, than to rely on maybe a a weaning weight ratio uh, to make a selection decision. So uh, I think that's a great to
1: me. That was the best point made. And as this relates back to n s i p and estimated breeding values which we've talked about on previous episodes and I think we can get lost in the weeds quite a bit with uh with kind of that n s i p lingo all it's saying is is the amount of confidence we're putting into that e b v and uh it, and the accuracy it it doesn't necessarily have to do with um how we're collecting that data but the provenness of the animal, uh, whether that's improving the accuracy through genomics. Uh, I did want to ask, so this was just open question. Tom, if you were sitting there and you're sitting there right now, so I'm going to ask you, on your NSIP EBVs, how do you approach or handle accuracy on those?
0: I kind of want to see them. Um... Above 60, above 65. I guess maybe the higher the better. It's kind of funny. I was thinking about this the other day, and I kind of went back through some of the rams I've been using and was surprised to see how high the accuracy was on some of those. So, yeah. for example,
1: you do have a ram, and, and we've brought him up before, uh, Curtis, Curtis, who's been used in five different flocks at yep. this point. You've had him now for two years. Uh, or Well, you're going on your third lamb crop with yeah. him that so that would be i'm assuming an individual that would have a high level of accuracy for a number of traits because just speaking personally i know he has daughters that are submitting data that are submitting progeny into NSIP every year in different flocks yeah, and so
0: his are most of his accuracies are high 80s to low 90s okay and and, that, and that's that amazing. So is that important to you? We should ask. Well, I think it gives me a whole lot more confidence in him for sure. But I mean, he's kind of already, you know, I've got daughters of his that have proved out well. But I would, yeah. uh, man, if I was looking at a ram and it those numbers were the accuracies were in those, you know, high eighties, low nineties, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's he's going to do what the what the E B V say. Yeah,
2: but kind of on the flip side of that and uh, another producer brought this up uh, in the NSIP meeting you could see you know, who it was so it's uh, tied to the Katahdin breed yes um, brought to the point that you know it, if you have a ram that has you know uh, an accuracy of, of 99 you know very very high accuracy level but he, all of his breeding values are breed average all you ca- all you know is you can be very confident in knowing he's going to produce average lamps um, right. and so um, that that doesn't really do us any good uh, that- as an industry, as an as it, whether it be an individual flock or the entire industry, and in, in making progress forward um, on those economically relevant traits. So, I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, we have to have that selection intensity, we have to have that superiority, and those breeding values that are important to us. Um, and then, sure, as we can bring accuracy along with that, um, you know, we can be more confident and and. W- how those offspring are going to to perform but uh, we we need to keep in mind that average to average gets you average uh, right. and so, so I, just because really
0: yeah with curtis we've just kind of used him as a foundation ram because we know we can get just slightly above breed average use consistently out of him and I think it depends too which trait we're talking about. Well that that is it because his, his maternal hair index is like one oh four point five or something like that. Which is significantly above average. Yes. And then yeah. number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned, those are pretty high. And uh but his uh all his weaning weights like I think it's one point two or something like that. And uh I think his uh post weaning peak weight count is minus sixty. So really, I mean, if
2: that's, if your selection program needs to focus on maternal traits, I mean, that's really the ideal scenario, I, I, I yeah. think. I mean, a, a ram that has that kind of uh, maternal index with that mm-hmm. level of accuracy associated with those breeding values, uh, that would be really the perfect scenario. Yeah, and that's a sheep, as
1: we've mentioned, has a lot of connectivity yeah. to multiple flocks. It has daughters operating in multiple flocks, producing progeny that we're collecting Data on, And I will say on the ac- the accuracy discussion, felt a little guilty until, until Rusty brought up, I mean, does anybody even look at it? Because, of course, pretty quiet there in the beginning. And it's like, I mean, I know I, I look at the number, but honestly, it, it doesn't probably catch flack for this, but it's not something, especially looking at Ramlands, I just expect lower numbers. And so Rusty then posed the question, we're going to ask this to you, Tom. If you find one, if you find a ram lamb that is just elite in terms of, uh, you know, a handful of traits, but has a lower level of accuracy than what you feel confident with. And we're talking, you know, the top 5% of the breed for, let's say, parasite resistance and maternal traits and breed average for growth. And I only bring that up because it fits your model and what we've talked about in the past. Uh, But he's truly an outlier what do you do with that sheep with a lower 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 accuracy on those estimated breeding values
0: well if i already own them i would probably attempt to prove them out on 20 or 30 ewes, and then uh but if i was going to buy him I'm not sure that i'd pay a crazy amount of money for him
1: cuz you it's it's the factor of the unknown yeah so I will say like yeah. we had prizes to give away, your first answer would would get a prize. And that, <laughs> and that was the answer that uh, that was provided again, producers that have far more experience than I do in, in NSIP and from different breeds that brought up that exact same point. and the value of bringing that ram in and raising progeny in a contemporary group against, say a ram like Curtis that has a high level of accuracy. To see where that Ram lamb, where his progeny fall in performance, uh, that's that's how we start to prove that data out. Now, if he's truly elite, this is Cameron's answer. If he's truly elite, and I lean over to Brad Carruthers when the question is posed, and I just whisper to him, "Breed the flock to him." Yeah. And it's a risk. There's a risk associated with it, but if it works, how much genetic improvement and performance improvement have I accomplished in, in just that, that next generation? Uh, and so I think there's a lot of different, there's, there's a lot of different right answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I did feel validated, though. Matt Benz, Rambouillet producer from Kansas, has been doing this for a while. And made the comment, it used to be the idea of seed stock producers, we were the ones that took the risk. We were the ones that took the risk for the commercial industry and took those genetic chances, knowing that we have to have a backup plan if it doesn't work out. Um, it's like, well, if that's his opinion, if mine aligns in a similar fashion, I, I'm okay with it. We'll, we'll take that risk again. On the elite individuals for the traits that meet our breeding objectives, I, I should ask Andrew: do you, Andrew, do you have an opinion on on that elite young animal? And maybe how do we incorporate some of our newer technologies to combat lower
2: accuracies? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm I'm of that mindset that, that uh, you know the, the breeding values are our most powerful tool available, um, and so I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, if there's a young animal with elite EBVs, uh, I'm probably going to use them and potentially use them relatively hard, um, you know, given obviously if it's a ram lamb, you know, he physically can only breed so many ewes and we have to take that into account. Um, but then along with that, I will probably um, try to use him or uh, against compare him against uh, what I would call a reference sire, um, more a more proven ram that has been used in years past. Um, and have lambs in the same contemporary group sired by that new young ram lamb and also uh, the older, more proven sire uh, to give me a good comparison on what that animal's potential is. I'm also going to breed uh, that ram lamb to, to kind of a variety of ewes uh, to give them the opportunity to perform. Um, you know, if you just stick that, that elite young ram lamb on a bunch of, of poor ewes uh, because you don't want to take the chance with them on your best use. Uh, you're kind of setting them up for failure, um, potentially, um, you know, and obviously the genetic evaluation takes into account the female side. Um, and so some of that is corrected for, and it's not going to be, um, you know, that, that alone won't necessarily sink him. Um, you know, cause the, if the ewes are in NSIP, obviously the genetic evaluation is going to know what the breeding value is of those use and what those use are going to pass on to those offspring. Uh, but at the same time, I want to give them a chance. I want to breed them to some, some, a variety of use, some use that maybe are, are not, uh, as elites, maybe in my opinion, but i 'm also going to breed him to some really elite use in my opinion, and give him the opportunity in that variety to see kind of where he clicks, where those genetics kind of match up well, uh, what he works best on, uh, maybe uh, if we think about like maternal grandsires and and female lines um, you know i 'm going to pair him up with uh, maybe a variety of different lines uh, to kind of see where his genetics click uh, with the current flock and and the past breeding program so uh, there's some options out there I think the the t- genomic technology that's now available uh, provides a relatively high level of accuracy uh, as well. So getting that, that young ram lamb uh, tested and having that, that genomic information there as well is going to provide an added lo- layer of accuracy um, when it comes to making those decisions, especially as it relates to those maternal traits um, and those traits that you, you may not know a whole lot about until his daughter's Get into production. So you're looking at three, four years before you really know how a ram's daughters are going to perform in production. That genomic test can add a layer of accuracy um, to that early on in life um, and provide some additional confidence in using that that young
0: sire. Yeah, I would agree with that. do you is, is Cam was posing the question to you, I was kind of thinking. You'd want those. You know, in my case, I said you know, at twenty or thirty use. You kind of want those all over the board, so that that you have a better chance of proving that that ram lamb out. So, did they come up with a general consensus of what uh, what they thought was a, a uh, an acceptable accuracy level?
2: I don't know if there was an. I don't think there was a a, low, a specific number that was determined. Um, but I think there was relative consensus among many of the folks there that they would they would take the risk on the young sire with low accuracy, but maybe just breed him to a handful of use mm-hmm. to get him kind of proven, see what he does, and then in year two, um, you know, if, if those EBVs hold up, um, then you know continue to use that ram. I think, Cam, would you say that would be the most common response? Yeah, I think that was
1: accurate. I do when the question was posed originally my my thought is we were going to hear a specific number. Yeah. Like well I feel really confident above 60%. Mm-hmm. Um and so and, and I believe Dr. Tom Murphy brought up the point that it depends which trait we're looking at and it it ties back to heritability. Yeah. And so if we have lowly heritable traits like our reproductive traits our number of lambs born number of lambs weaned we're willing to accept a lower accuracy on that. And it hold, it still holds more weight because we know those are literally heritable. Because um, we're making, is that correct? We're making shorter strides in that accuracy and it takes a long time to, to validate. Whereas our growth trades, and actually I think I got that backwards. Now our growth trades, we're willing to have a lower accuracy because of their, uh, they're heritability. They're highly heritable. Our reproductive traits.
2: Well, in, inherently, our, our lowly heritable traits are going to have lower accuracy levels than our highly heritable traits.
1: It's just, just harder, inherently. It's harder um, to get the accuracy because we need daughters out of rams to have data to improve, to really make pr- make strides in improving accuracy.
0: And many, I think you need many generations of those daughters, too, do you not? I think you need a number
1: of ewe lambs kept out of the same contemporary group mm-hmm. to make str- to make real substantial strides in those reproductive
0: traits. But you're not going to see that right. in that first generation. Well, you'll see it in that first generation, but not the first time that generation lambs. It'd be the second, third, and fourth time that that generation lambs. Would it not? It's, the- yeah, it's going to take a little time, bit of time. Uh, and. And the other thing to keep in mind is is
2: accuracy and uh, uniformity or consistency of lamb crop are two separate things. Mm. Uh, And that was another point that uh, Dr. Murphy brought up and reiterated. Um, Just because they have a higher accuracy level does not mean you're going to get a more consistent or uniform lamb crop. Um, You're just more accurately predicting what the, the estimated breeding value is truly an average. It's, it, it's helping predict what that average uh, level of performance is going to be. Uh, and the accuracy is associated with with how well we can predict uh, what that, that average might be. So it's not, there still could be variation there. Um, and we need to, to keep that in mind and not just assume that I'm going to use this really high accuracy ram and all of, I'm going to wean 50 lambs that all weigh 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not, not the case. That's not how this works. Um, you're still going to have variation around that average, uh, but hopefully we can do a better job predicting what that average is going to be by, you know, using a higher accuracy uh, sire. And so just keep that in mind. Um, I think that might be a a common misconception about higher accuracy levels. Yes. I think the uniformity situation is something that
1: we all want to produce. And unfortunately, we don't have an EBV for, for uniformity or That's not a function of our breeding values to create a uniform lamb crop. A lot of it has to do with what our ewe flock looks like that we're breeding these rams to. But I think to put a bow on the the accuracy discussion, there was an example that really outlines some common misconception. I, I think it brings it back to Dr. Weaver's initial point of we'd rather have the breeding value than to pull off of that phenotypic data. The raw data that we're pulling on the operation we would rather have the ebv with a lower accuracy and if you don't mind sharing the uh single and twinning divergently selected genetic lines uh, with us and then how it relates back to accuracy and our estimated
2: breeding values yeah so uh dr dr murphy brought up a, a really excellent example of a study that was done at Montana state Uh, related to uh, twinning rates and so this was a 60-year study so very very long term type study um, where they selected divergently selected sheep uh, based on the fact whether they had twins or singles Uh, so one line of sheep over 60 years was selected twins bred to twins bred to twins bred to twins twins. Uh, the other line was selected singles bred to singles bred to singles bred to singles and so you know that it's a common thing we hear about we we talk about you know oh i'm I don't want to buy that Ram because he was born a single. Um, and this kind of addresses that question. How, how relevant uh, is that train of thought? Um, so you would, you would think many of us would think that, okay, over 60 years of selection, based on the fact that they were born a twin or born a single, surely there would be some differences after 60 years. Tom, take a guess what the difference in lambing rate was between the twin selected line and the single selected line.
0: Well, I think I've heard this before, and if I remember correctly, the answer was there wasn't a difference.
2: Yeah, 0.15 additional lambs born to the twin line versus the single line. So, essentially,
0: they're the same. So, But that did amaze me when I heard that. It's shocking. For 60 years, years they were
1: selecting. And this is the example of, like, where research, why we need research, because nobody should be doing this. Well, actually, it doesn't matter if you do it anyway, but but our thought process is nobody should be doing this. You were trained. We have we have twin bearing animals Mm -hmm. is the ideal. We should not be selecting singles when we if that's our only metric. And turns out it's not a great metric for for reproductive selection. Right.
2: Had had they utilized an estimated breeding value for number of lambs born, that difference would be significantly greater than yeah. just using the phenotype alone. Because remember, birth type is a lowly heritable trait. It's only about 10% controlled by genetics, 90% environmental. So 90% of the reason that, that animal was born a single or twin was the environment that you exposed its mother to. So real without the genetic tools, we're not going to see a whole lot of, of progress made. So you know, if you have that great ram lamb born as a single um, with great EBVs, Go ahead and use it because. Yeah, you, you would
0: have uh, thought after sixty years, those single-born use would have had nothing but singles every single time, and the this one selected for twins would have had nothing but twins every single time. Yeah, when right. I first heard that, I was like, "Wow, I can't, I can't even fathom that."
1: Now, when it comes to selection again, based off that raw data and what we're doing on the farm without using genetic tools, when we start to improve reproductive function and prolificacy we're going to have to start selecting those quads those twins, you use know, that are having four and five then we can start to move the needle on more consistent prolificacy selection but then you're then you're lambing out some very prolific use and yeah. uh, the average producer doesn't necessarily want want to do that um, i know i I don't need to have a bunch of quads uh, running around the farm.
0: No,
2: not, not yes. I think not in the grazing system for sure. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, and I I think one of the uh, exciting things as we and we kind of wrapped up the accuracy discussion, we we talked about uh, committees and um, the NSIP program um, and and you know current uh, leadership on those committees and and opportunities for new committees and and one of the the new committee, uh, ideas that was brought up was, was having an education committee. Uh, and I think that that's really paramount and and something of importance. And, um, there's a lot of uh, new folks out there raising sheep and and people interested in SIP and, and want to make, you know, want to select sheep in the right way, uh, to improve their programs. Um, and it all comes back to education. Um, you know, when I first started at NC state, I I did a producer survey. And, uh, one of the questions I asked was, you know, do you know what NSIP is? Um, are you actively enrolled in NSIP? Um, and it was the answer I got was less than 10%. Um, actually, I think it was closer to 5% um, uh, of the number of folks that responded to that survey that even knew what the National Sheep Improvement Program is. So uh, that, that just tells you that we need that outreach. We need the education. Um, we need to get out in front of people and, and teach them about this technology we have available um, to, you know, even if they're not going to get enrolled themselves, um, we can still take advantage of NSIP by using NSIP RAMs. Um, yep. You don't have to be fully enrolled. You don't have to enroll your view flock. Just go out, buy NSIP RAMs that have EBVs for the traits that you're interested in uh, and use those RAMs, to retain daughters. And, and in just you know, a few generations, over 90% of the genetics in your flock will represent those genetically elite NSIP sires that you, you, you purchased and utilized in your program. So there's a ton of benefits to NSIP for the commercial producer. Um, and I, and I think we often overlook that. Um, and, and we just need to, to often reiterate that, that uh, there's a lot of value there uh, to, to just buying and utilizing NSIP rams. And I even think there's probably more benefit and more value to
1: the commercial producer buying those sheep. Because a commercial producer does not have the the same level of data collection that goes into into that NSIP flock is hopefully not taking those genetic chances, striving to really push sheep out on that that edge of of performance. And so I think there's a lot of benefits, uh, and and they're not all ridiculously priced. Like they're very. I think for the commercial producer, there's a lot of NSIP sheep that are competitively priced, and and especially when we start to look at the the predictable, improved productivity that we're going to generate out of progeny, out of offspring, we can justify that cost very quickly. But my hope is the grazing sheep podcast audience would have more than a 5% response in hearing or knowing what NSIP is. And most of that is us cramming it down. I mean, it's not their throats, through their ears. (laughs) Um, And so whether they wanted to hear about it or not, I I think it's important whether they're going to take advantage of it or not. It's important to be aware of what it is. And if it doesn't fit for your operation, but you're having a conversation with another producer that could benefit, we as producers bring that up because we would like to see the industry improve. We would like to see other shepherds have success in their commercial operations. And so I think it, it just goes back to education. It was very exciting to, to hear that that's going to be at the forefront of, of some of the goals moving forward, along with the, the technology committee they had mentioned. And we know, you know, specifically Tom, we have a bunch of technology out there that that we're trying to figure out with the eid uh, tags and scales and just systems that that work to improve the efficiency of the operation. How do we find technology that that integrates well into data collection for genetic analysis so uh, it's it's an exciting time to uh to sit at the table and, and listen
2: to, to what they're doing. Yeah. And I think, um, kind of going along with that, um, I was fortunate to be part of a group called the young guns. Um, and, and that whole, that topic's probably for another podcast. Um, but it was a group of young producers that, uh, that met several months ago, um, and came up with some priorities, um, in terms of, of moving the sheep industry forward, uh, and really focused from a a genetics perspective. Um, And and part of that discussion was, you know, streamlining the data collection process, um, implementing maybe some new technology um, so that we can get data collected as easily as possible, shoot side on farm, get that off to our genetic evaluation program, and then get back those those selection tools in a a usable form um, that we can apply to our selection programs. And so uh, it was encouraging for me that, a group of young producers from all over the country, uh, that's a priority to them. Uh, and then in our, our NSIP discussion uh, there at the, the meeting, where we talked about maybe establishing a committee for these new and emerging technologies and how we can implement those and better utilize those um, to, to streamline uh, that, that, not only the data collection process, but um, the genetic evaluation in and of itself and, and the you know, genomic technology that we have available now to improve the accuracy of those breeding values. So there's just there's a ton of potential out there. Um and it's just, you know, finding the the resources and the the people with the skill set uh to go out and, and make that happen and and implement those tools and technology uh for us to to benefit from in the sheep industry.
0: That's exciting to hear. Be interesting to see uh if those committees come to fruition and, uh, and what they end up doing. So well, we're coming up on our time here and uh, it's been good catching up with you guys. And, and we thank you for listening to another episode of the grazing sheep podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can do that by contacting me at bigtomperkins at Perkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. You can go on there and like and follow. You can leave some comments there as well, or ask some questions. So uh you guys bundle up before you go out today. You don't want you get frostbite, frostbit. Do you have to walk over we're gonna try <laughs> not to? Do you have to walk over to the uh where the convention is or
1: no? Fortunately it is in the basement of the oh, hotel, which is why like yesterday I I had not
2: seen the sun and felt the need to <laughs> to go no, up not, and just make sure yeah. it was still there. I finally set my foot outside, uh, maybe 11 o'clock last night, and uh, it was brisk. It was very brisk.
0: <laughs> I hope their basement's a lot warmer than mine. So. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's almost too, too hot. Too hot. <laughs> too warm. I believe it. Well, listen, it's been great catching up with you guys, and uh, you have a good rest of your convention. Thanks, yeah. So We'll just talk to you later. Sounds good, Tom. All right. Bye.